Hi, I'm Kathy Rushing, host of the podcast, Committed, The Entrepreneur Marriage. If your middle name is Restless and you identify with words like innovator, dreamer, changemaker, creative, independent, or you are married to an entrepreneur or heaven help you, you're both entrepreneurs, this podcast is for you. The entrepreneurial journey can be a little wild at times, like uncharted territory. Join me as I talk with others who are at various stages of the entrepreneur process. We'll explore the wisdom and insights they have gained while navigating the ups and downs of the entrepreneur journey. You'll discover that there are many couples who have found ways to thrive in both their marriage and business. Fifteen years into starting and scaling All's Care, the assisted living company that Mark started in 1997, he was burned out. It began to take a toll on our marriage as neither of us had much left in the tank. A friend told Mark about C12. It's a Christian peer board that meets once a month. And this group of men, there are women on many of the boards, but this happened to be all men, became the antidote for the loneliness and burnout he was feeling. After the very first meeting that Mark attended, I felt like I'd gotten my husband back for the first time in a very long time. Several interviews in the queue are people we met through that board. And to each of you, I want you to know how grateful I am for the life-giving friendship you provided just in time. And now you get to meet some of them. Brad and Jiyoung Bowler were interviewed in episode three, way, way back. They were brave enough to be one of my first guests. Today, I'm talking with Trevor and Katie Bird. In 2016, they moved from Texas to Durango, Colorado, a place they honestly had never heard of. And they became co-owners of the Harley-Davidson dealership. Listen for the way they made this decision as a couple how they are teaching their young children about business, what teamwork looks like currently, and how they keep their marriage growing. So I'm joined today by Trevor and Katie Bird. Welcome, you guys. Thank you, Kathy. Hi, Kathy. How are you? Doing, doing great. Doing really good. Thanks for asking. <laughs> good, good. Well, Give us, uh, we're going to get a little bit of get to know you time. So tell us where you guys live currently. We uh, currently live in Durango, Colorado. We're in the same state. Yeah. And we both came from New Braunfels. So there you go. Yes, um, how long have you guys been married? We've been married for 12 blissful years. <laughs> Every second. <laughs> yeah. we, uh, I love it. November, blissful, perfect. <laughs> last November, we got to celebrate our 12-year our wedding anniversary. And it was a very, very neat, very magical uh, anniversary that we got to celebrate. So yeah, 12 years. Cool. What did y'all do to celebrate? We went, we were able to have Trevor's dad came up to help us with the kids. And Trevor and I went to the Broadmoor. Um, hotel, resort um, up in Colorado Springs. And it was just so beautiful um, and just so romantic. And it was a great weekend getaway. Horseback riding, hiking, all sorts of great activities, Mm -hmm. awesome food, and and just uh, 
a really neat place without a doubt. Yeah, we went there for an anniversary a couple years ago in January. So it was off season. The rates were much lower, but half the hotel was also closed. They were doing some renovation, but it is the most amazing historical you know, and the art that's there. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yes. It's yes. just amazing. The, the building and the history and all the things that that make up the Broadmoor is just all so interesting and beautiful. And, yes, uh, we had a really great time. It was really nice. Yeah. Did y'all go to the zoo? We did not go to the zoo. No, it was, okay. it was pretty cold. And I don't even know if they were open. They still had some things closed because yeah, of the pandemic and stuff. There's still some COVID restrictions so. going on. So not everything was, was fully open. But you know, what a, I was telling Katie, it'd be awesome to take all of our team to the Broadmoor. Just the, that level of personalized customer service where they just make you feel like the most important person on that entire piece of property. And you know mm-hmm. that whole experience, it was, it was great. And definitely something we would love to share with our whole team and like take everybody up there and let them experience that for a couple of days and kind of see what best in class really was. Yeah, they really are. They are one of the top. I have a brother-in-law that's in the hotel industry for his whole career. And that is, that is their benchmark, you know? Yeah. So how fun. Yeah. It was great. And you guys, you guys have a couple of kids, but I've lost track of how old they mm-hmm. are. Yes, we have two children. Um, our oldest is Millie, Millie Grace. She is 10. And our son, Reese, is eight. Okay, yeah. very good. And so what are your current job descriptions? Well, so about three and a half years ago, we purchased the Durango Harley-Davidson dealership here in Durango, Colorado. And our current job descriptions, Katie is our oversees our marketing and our our retail side of all the different merchandise and and stuff that we sell on the retail side of the shop. And then I'm the acting general manager for the dealership. So the motorcycle sales, F&I, accounting, service and parts kind of falls under under my umbrella. And then marketing, PR and merchandise and all that, Katie helps lead and, and oversee. Okay. Great. We're going to get into more of much more of this story in a minute, but awesome. Thank you. I want to do a couple of fun get to know you exercises. Okay. If your marriage was a team sport, what would it be? <laughs> hmm. Well, I would think maybe I'd have to say baseball. Sure. Maybe just because I think in the game of baseball. And you don't have to have the same. <laughs> well, I think I think in the game of baseball, you know, like you know, we've been we've been throwing a few curveballs yeah, in life. No doubt. And, you know, we've hit some made it through those. Slams. Yeah. And we've we, we've hit some things way out in the left field, you know, that you just you know, don't know we've what's stuck out too. Yeah. Yeah. I'm gonna go with baseball too. I like that. Yeah. But um okay. through all of that, you know, we still finish the game and uh, still, still work together as a team. So, I'd say I'd say awesome. baseball, mm-hmm. which is my favorite sport anyway. So it works. <laughs> okay, very good. What is the other's superpower? What do you think, Trevor? <laughs> you know, I, Katie's love for Christ is is really her superpower. Her desire to always be growing in her faith, to be sharing her faith with other people. You know, when when her and I met, that was. Um, a big part of my life that 
I, it, it wasn't there. It, it didn't really exist. And, you know, through our journey, and I know we'll get into this later, but, you know, Katie was a, a big part of, as an adult, bringing Christ back into our life. And um, then together, we've made sure that he stayed the center of our our family and our marriage. But, um, you know, her her love maybe would be more broad, like just general. Katie is, is uh, she's got an incredible way of loving people and uh and her love for christ is really the superpower that stands out to me that's really sweet i don't know but i feel like i gotta change mine now Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um let's see trevor's superpower to me i really think it's his ability to connect with people he um being in business with him and even before we worked together i've always admired how he can you know, just walk up to a stranger and strike up a conversation and connect to, to anyone just by means of small talk and just, you know, starting conversations. And I think that's why um, he's done so well in business is because he's he's got a great ability to to listen and also be heard, but really connect with mm-hmm. others. And um, it's it's I've learned so much from him because that's not an easy thing for me to do at all. And so he's a uh, yeah, I think for him and his not only career, you know, but just in his everyday life, you know, he's able to really yeah. connect with people and just find a way to see what the other needs, wants, and kind of connect and go from there. And so I admire that about him a lot. So would you say y'all are more similar or opposites? I think we're total opposites. I think we're total, total opposites. opposites. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, wouldn't you agree? I mean, no, we're, we're pretty, very different. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we're definitely different. Yeah. With similarities. Okay. Well, but, that'll yeah. be that'll be fun to unpack because that's uh <laughs> that keeps it exciting, right? And mm-hmm. always something to learn. Okay. I have a series of rapid fire questions. And Katie, I actually pulled this from your Facebook oh, post. You something you had reposted. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. So this has to do with your relationship. Who was interested first? I think maybe me. Would you say me? She she took the initiative to kind of like really spark up the conversation, but I still I still remember the very first time I ever saw her get out of that red Mustang in the parking mm-hmm. lot of Alamo City Harley Davidson. And you know, and I was I was in a season of life where I really had gotten out of a a, a really bad engagement and was not looking for for anything, but you know, Katie definitely caught my eye, and I said, "Wow, there's something, something special about that girl." But I so think it I was think, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think the attraction was there for both of us, but I think I initiated, I initiated it. Yep. Go, girl. <laughs> <laughs> who's who's the most sensitive? Trevor. Sure, I'll take that. Trevor. Okay. Mm-hmm. Who has the worst temper? Maybe me. We both kind of have a temper. My red line is is way out there. It, like I I I've got a lot more. His um, fuse is longer than mine, but, so but I snap it, before he does. Once it cracks, the temper, you know, it's it's bad. But Katie, I, maybe on a shorter time level. Um, yeah. Yes, I'm less patient. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who's the loudest? Mm-hmm. Me, probably. Katie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> she says in a very soft voice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Who's the funniest? Katie. 
I don't know. We're, our son. Me, yeah, our, our son. Trevor and I really aren't that funny, <laughs> but our kids are really funny. <laughs> it's good to have funny kids. They, yes, definitely. You know, you got to laugh in life, right? Mm-hmm. Who is the more sociable? Me. Yeah, I'm definitely more social. Yeah, and it's, you know, it's weird because like at work, I'm probably very much more social when mm-hmm. it's with team members, clients, stakeholders. Um, but when I get done working 12, 14 hour day, I'm done. And mm-hmm. but Katie, Katie definitely has a, a much bigger desire to be out there in the community and, and, and making, you know, friends and, and she's definitely more social. Than that. That's true. Okay. Who's the most stubborn? Mm-hmm. Trevor. What? <laughs> You know it's true. <laughs> okay, I'll take that too. <laughs> okay. Who wakes up first? I do. Trevor. Mm-hmm. Who stays up late? Katie. Me. <laughs> Katie. Who's the better driver? Me. Katie. <laughs> Except on a motorcycle. I can operate a motorcycle better than her, but when it comes to a car, Katie's definitely a better driver. I'm I'll, I'll give you that, but yeah, no, he, he's a terrible driver. Terrible driver. Oh, gosh. That's not the answer I was looking for on a motorcycle. Um, And who is the better cook? Me. I'm the only one that cooks. That's not true. Well, (laughs) (laughs) he does the grill. He works the grill. So when we grill stuff, he's in charge. No, Katie's Katie's the better cook, for sure. Okay. (laughs) Which isn't saying much. So, (laughs) Yeah. For years, I thought Mark wanted to grill, but it was never really a passion of his. And then we got a big green egg. And because it involved fire, suddenly Mm -hmm. he loved grilling. And so he became (laughs) the grill master. Yeah, very good. All right. Well, great. We'll transition now into your story. And um, I want to hear a little bit more about how you met. So cute little blonde getting out of a red car. (laughs) Is that how you met? That is how we met. Um, Back, what was it like? Fifteen. It was like in two thousand four. I was running a handful of Harley Davidson dealerships in the San Antonio market, and we also were licensed boxing promoters with the state of Texas. And we were throwing these pretty significant, you know, mass gathering concerts, big concerts, and festivals and outdoor events. And um, we would hire marketing teams. Trevor. Yes. Trevor, I'm sorry, you said licensed what? It, it kind of garbled for a minute. Uh, a boxing oh. promoter. So we were throwing oh, okay. sanctioned boxing and mixed martial arts events with the uh, Texas oh, Boxing okay. Commission. and But we would have marketing teams that would go out and help promote our events in the communities. And, um, and that's how we met Katie through one of her friends. They got hired to be one of our marketing teams and go out there and uh, promote one of our events. And so we met initially in the parking lot of Alamo City, Harley-Davidson, and just love at first sight. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like it. So how long uh, before you got married, and how did you guys know that this was your forever person? Uh, we dated for about five years before we got married, five to six years. Um, I would have married him way sooner, but um, Trevor... And I'm thankful for this. Like, there's an age difference between us. There's seven years. So when we met, I was still in, I was still in college, um, and Trevor was already work. You know, had graduated, was working for Harley and whatnot. And 
I, I fell for him super, super fast. And, um, I would have married him, you know, a year after we had mar- uh, started dating, but he was really, um, concerned about, about me. He wanted me to make sure that I finished and got my degree and got my career started and did those important things, you know, the, um, just to kind of, you know, figure out who I am as an individual before he wanted us before we got married. And I'm so thankful for that now, you know, that we waited, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I guess it was about five years before we got married. And I knew, I knew Trevor was the one because honestly, from that first night we met, because we had, we ended up sitting down out on the patio and, um, it was late at night and, but we were just, we just started talking, but, and I couldn't even tell you, remember what, what all we talked about. But what I remember was just having this instant connection with him, just feeling totally at ease and that I could be myself. And I felt that he was really open and, and shared things with me. And he was just a really deep soul. And I hadn't met a man like that, you know, in my whole life. And, you know, I was used to fraternity boys who just wanted to go out and get drunk all the time, you know, so it was really nice change of pace to actually have an adult (laughs) conversation with this man who, you know, was just so smart and intelligent. And so from the day I met him, I knew that there was something different about him. So um, it wasn't long after that, that I realized I wanted to marry him. So that's how I knew. Mm. Mm -hmm. So you knew pretty early on. How about you, Trevor? So I had come out of a season of life where I had been in some pretty, pretty tough uh, relationships and dealing with a lot of betrayal and just, just hard stuff. And I was really not looking to fall in love, but there was something about Katie that was different. The age thing was definitely like, I, you know, I, I'm like, you're young, you, you do need to figure out kind of what you want to do in life. Um, and thank God that she was persistent and she never gave up on me. Um, and she loved me even when we were dating in a way that I had never experienced. It was just such mm-hmm. a pure, you know, I, I said earlier, her superpower is really the way that she loves. And and so getting to experience that firsthand. And I remember when I started falling in love with her, I got scared to death. And even even called, I said, we're, we're, we can't do this anymore because I was really starting to fall for her. Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I called things off and, and she, she was like, you know what? I'm, I'm not going to keep going back and forth, back and forth. If you're not interested, I'm going to move on with my life. Well, what does that do to the guy right now? All of a sudden it's like, <laughs> um, and, and she did, she's, she moved on. And I realized, I mean, like within 24 hours, I was sitting there going, what are you doing? Like, really? Like, what are you doing? Am I going to go back out to the, you know, bar scene in San Antonio and find a woman as pure and as loving and just, that makes me feel so much joy that I felt with Katie. I had promised her for her 21st birthday to take her to Las Vegas. She had never been before. And so I called, you know, groveling, Hey, we'll get, you know, these two separate rooms, like blah, blah, blah. But please let me still take you to Vegas for your 21st birthday. And she set some really clear expectations. Like, and in you my know, mind, I was also thinking, man, a free trip to Vegas. <laughs> and yeah, I'll go. Her girlfriends are <laughs> I'll going go. Yeah. And, um, <laughs> yeah. But it was really when we were in Vegas, I like just the fact that she agreed to to come up there was a big deal. And I just I could not take my eyes off of her. And there's a lot of shiny distractions in Vegas. 
And I just knew, I was like, man, I'm like, you don't like, don't screw this up. This girl loves you. She's so incredible. And, um, you know, that trip in Vegas, like that was where I made up my mind that I'm going to marry her one day. And so, Mm. yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. So in the beginning, Trevor, you said you were already working with Harley Davidson in San Antonio. Is that where your career started? That's correct. You know, no, back in, when I was in college, the family that owned the Harley Davidson franchise in San Antonio, uh, the son, we were best friends and his father had opened a bar on the Riverwalk called Houston Street L House. And the summer between my freshman and sophomore year at TCU, I came back home to do summer school and my buddy's like, hey, we need some help, like barbacks and stuff like that if you want a summer job. So I was, you know, literally 18, 19 years old, mopping the floors, cleaning the restrooms, washing glasses and dishes. And that was when I first started working for that family. While we were in college, the son and I started a couple uh, motorsports marketing companies together. We formed the first LLC I'd ever formed was with him and got out of college and thought I'd do the real world thing and did software development consulting for a couple of years and had a, a wildly successful career right out of college with that. But in 2002, um, when the dot-com bubble burst, mm-hmm. I decided to take a chance and I moved from Dallas, Texas, where I was living, back to San Antonio. And it was really just supposed to be a temporary thing while I was looking again for another real job. I was helping that family out again. But in 2002, Harley-Davidson was just booming. It, 2003 was the 100th anniversary of the brand. They could do no wrong. I mean, the demand was way outpacing with supply. And so it was really neat. I got to grow with that company when I started in November of, actually November of 2001 is when I started with that family. And we um, we grew from a $12 million company to over a $60 million company from 2001 to 2007. So you know, being in my 20s and being kind of helping lead this incredible growth and from one location to four locations and from 20-something employees to over 100 employees, it was just an incredible experience. But yeah, this November will be 20 years that I've worked with the Harley-Davidson brand and in and, and the Harley-Davidson dealer network. Wow. I didn't realize it had been that long. And so for you, Katie, you graduated college. Mm-hmm. And where did your career begin? The day after I graduated college, I started working um, in the broadcasting department for the San Antonio Spurs. So um, I got a really awesome go, job. Spurs, go Exactly. Yes. <laughs> go Spurs, go. I uh, feel really blessed for the opportunity to work with the Spurs organization um, right out of college. Um, so I worked in broadcasting. I was like a a sales assistant, basically. And I help associate, I guess is the word they use. But uh, I got to help um, our sales managers um, in selling corporate sponsorships. So like anytime you go like to a basketball game and all the in-arena signage and all the TV and radio spots during the game, that's what we sold and that's what we did. And it was an amazing experience for me to work in that organization because... Well, one is just cool. I mean, there's a lot of perks that oh, come cool. with getting to work for the Spurs. But um, yeah. more than that, I had some amazing bosses, uh, some leaders that really, really cared about their their people. And, you know, they and I, the one of the things that my VP 
told me one time I went to interview for another position within the company. This is like a year or so later. And I knew that I maybe not wasn't quite ready for it, but I wanted to go for it anyway. And he interviewed me and, and he went through the whole process with me. And at the end, he said, you know, Katie, he said, I really value you and I value your work here. And he said it, but I don't want to set you up to see you fail. And so hmm. he was able to let me down in a way that lifted me up at the same time, which hmm. is something I've carried with me throughout the rest of my career. Um, and that's just one small snippet of, of what it was like to work for that organization. They were really nurturing and, you know, really a lot of the leadership values that Trevor and I use today within our businesses have come from the model of, of my time at the Spurs and how um, how they approached leadership. So I, this working for the Spurs was by far my biggest uh, learning experience in the workforce. Uh, and then I did a small stint working at this at the scooter store in New Braunfels. Um, I don't think it was even a full year. And then we got pregnant with our daughter, and I um I stayed home from then on. So for about uh, seven years, I stayed home. And then when we moved here to Durango, Trevor and I partnered up, and now I work for yeah. Harley Davidson. Okay. So Trevor, you said you had started an L you and your friend started an LLC. Mm-hmm. Kind of an entrepreneurial thing. Did you consider yourself an entrepreneur at that point? Oh, or yeah. did you even label it that? Well, I mean, I didn't I didn't have a label for it back then, but you know, I mean, from being in sixth grade in middle school and getting busted for hustling cinnamon toothpicks that I would make at home and, you know, five cents (laughs) for one toothpick or five for 25 cents. And, you know, and one thing I'm really grateful for is, is my parents always made me work. I mean, I remember in the summers when I was 15, uh, 16, 17, 18, working at rocking our river rides every summer and, you know, being resentful, like all my friends out there having fun and I'm here parking cars Mm -hmm. and stacking inner tubes, but and I'm it's just hot so in grateful. Texas yeah. in the summer. Yeah. But you know, it helped it helped me appreciate what it what what it takes to make a buck, um, what good work ethic is. But I always, you know, I was always looking for that little side hustle and, and ways to and it wasn't really about the money. It was just I always had fun putting deals together and, you know, doing entrepreneurial activities before I even knew what that really was what it that that's what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had dinner. It has been several years ago. And mm-hmm. so a lot of this story I'm forgetting, but I do remember, Katie, that you, at that time, you had a business, was it men's clothing? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I, uh, after being a stay-at-home mom for a few years, I was starting to get the itch to find some purpose outside of the home, you know, and I, I know a lot of moms out there feel that way. And I've been through the same thing. Um, and my, uh, my best friend, Rachel had just joined this, um, menswear company called Jay Hilburn, um, based out of Dallas. That's right. Yes. And, um, that sells custom men's clothing. And, um, I saw she came over to the house and measured Trevor for some custom clothes. And I just thought it was the neatest thing to see. And, um, I love fashion. Uh, so I was like, man, you know what, Rachel, I can do this too. Let's do it together. So I, uh, started my Jay Hilburn business. So yes, I, um, basically I would go meet clients in their home or office and we would take their measurements and I have these big swatch books and, you know, gentlemen could pick out 
you know, design their own wardrobe, basically tailored to fit them. And it was really, it was a really fun chapter. Mm -hmm, It was great watching Katie in that season of life. And I would go back to the Harley dealership and tell my sales guys, I was like, if y'all hustled as hard as my wife does, you would be selling three or four times (laughs) more motorcycles than you are right now. Because she went through my entire contact list and, you know, Hey, I want to know every CPA attorney, this, that, (laughs) everyone that you've ever worked with. And like, and not just me, like she did that with every one of her contacts and, and, you know, created this in a very short period of time, this incredible kind of referral network. And it was, it was just so fun to see her because she was in a zone. She was, she loves fashion. She loves making people happy and feel confident. And, and she loves feeling independent. And that job kind of took all of those elements and put them in, under one umbrella. And she just did so, so great with it. It was really, really fun to be, mm-hmm. be able to sit on the sidelines and kind of watch her run with that. Yeah. yeah. And at that point, Trevor, were you the GM in New Braunfels? I was, what so, was your role? Yeah, I was a general manager and VP for the uh, um, Gottsacker family. And then in 2008, we sold one of the, well, two of the four locations, the Alamo City Harley-Davidson main store and t-shirt store down on the San Antonio Riverwalk. And when 08 happened, I had never sold a motorcycle. Like when I got involved with those guys in, in November of 2001, it was really a business development, which, which I love putting together business plans, casting the vision getting people's buy-in, creating org charts. Like that I, I thrive in that visionary role. But I'm and I, I I still tell my staff this, I'm not a good general manager. But in 08, when the collapse happened, I remember, you know, the family came to me and said, You need to go fire the GM in Green and Green uh, Harley Davidson in New Braunfels, Texas. And if you still want to have a job, you're you can be the new GM. But that's the only way we can still have a job for you. And I was like, man, I've I've never even sold a motorcycle. Like, what am I going to do? Um, and so it was a really intimidating uh, transition for me. But it's one that I'm so grateful for because in 08, when I moved into that GM role, and then within about a year or two, I was overseeing both the New Braunfels and the Bernie dealership, which still even at that time, by you know 2009, 2010, was $40 plus million dollars in top line revenue. And you know, we had close to a hundred employees, 40 to 50 per store. And wow. um, so it was a big job. And and one store is a big job. Having two stores an hour apart, um, it was challenging to say the least. Yeah. Yeah. And were you part of C12 at that, or let me ask it a different way. At what point did you join C12? You and Mark met through C12 quite a few years ago. So I think it was around 2012 or 13. And I was going through a pretty radical transformation in my life. And we could go down an entire rabbit hole about that. But I had uh, had decided our daughter was two years old and our son was newborn. And I had decided, you know, that I was powerless over alcohol. You know, it was such a miracle that I never got in trouble. No DWIs. Never, you know, got in trouble with the law, but my my health and my relationships um, were both collapsing, and I just had really struggled with alcohol and and tried quitting on my own, and and never just, you know, I'd get two three months under my belt, and then something would happen, and so anyway, it was this really incredible crossroads where 
I had fallen on my knees in, in the shower on a Monday morning and just started crying and just said, God, I, I can't do this anymore. I don't know how to fix this. Mm. I'm so tired of fighting this. Will you please take this from me? And, um, and a few hours later I attended and it was one of the most humbling. And at the time it felt pretty humiliating experiences, but I, I went into my first AA meeting and being in small town, New Braunfels, like, you know, of course, you know, half the room in there. And, um, but it was during that time where I just said, God, I need your help. Like, take this from me that, um, at our church, I attended my first acts retreat with Saints Peter and Paul. I met Mike Shero, who was leading the C12 group back then, joined the mm-hmm. C12 group, and then was immediately surrounded by this, this bond of brothers, of, of Christian owners. And my first C12 meeting, uh, this guy, Barney Randalls, said, you need to quit your job. I'm like, what? He's like, seriously, you need to quit. You need to go and tell them you're quitting today. And um, I just thought, who, who are these people? Like, what does he think? Why does he think he has the right to tell me I should quit my job? And, you know, went into this natural kind of defensive posture, but didn't realize it was really out of love that the way they were talking to me. And so that was a long answer to your question. But, yeah, it was about 2012, 2013. When, um, when we really started to get involved in C12 and look at our business from a perspective that these are God's businesses and we're just lucky enough to be a steward. Mm-hmm. And the whole purpose of it is to share his love and just love on your team, love on your customers, run a good profitable business. And and so that's that's what we did. So back up just a little bit, because now I'm curious. So the guy okay. that said you should quit your job, yes, why ma'am. was he saying that? Talking about at the Harley Davidson, yeah, that's and, where you, you were know, working, right? I, that was where I was working, and I think out of respect for that whole situation, it was just he. I, I guess the short answer is he knew I wasn't happy. He <sighs> knew I, I had kind of reached a point where there's a, a saying, um, "unequally yoked," and um, and we were definitely, you know, at that time I had become a partner in the businesses. In 2013, I actually became a, a minority equity partner in both dealerships and. And I, I think it's fair and there, there's no right, wrong or, you know, judgment, but we, we were just very equally unyoked as, as partners. And, okay. and so they just, I think so they wanted to challenge me. Yep. So different values yes. in the company versus your own values. Okay. That yes. makes sense. And I, I respect that <laughs> we may not need to go any <laughs> deeper. Yes, ma'am. Um, you know, I am so fascinated by this whole Harley because listeners, you cannot see Trevor and Katie, but they are the most all-American looking couple. <laughs> I don't know if either of you have tattoos, but they're not visible. No, no, no um, tattoos. No tattoos. No crazy piercings or anything. No, we're your yeah. average Joes. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, once upon a time, Harley was this bad boy image and... You know, Peter Fonda, Dennis Uh Hopper came out on their custom Harleys in Easy Rider. Uh But that image has changed dramatically. Yeah. And I I remember when our oldest son, Jeremy, was in fifth grade. First day of school, he comes home and he is so excited. Like, he's not usually excited about school. But he came home and told us that it was a real interesting teacher situation. It was a husband and wife that co-taught. And they both owned Harleys. And that was their fun time. They would go mm-hmm. ride. 
most yeah. weekends. Yeah. And yeah. so he just thought that was so cool. My mm-hmm. teachers ride Harleys. And so the image has really changed. And I would love to hear a little bit about how you have seen the culture change and what part you have played in that, do you think? With, without a doubt. So, you know, in, in 2001, I had graduated from TC with a marketing degree in 1999. I had been in the software development and the corporate scene for a couple of years. And um, I'd never had ridden a motorcycle. I was 19. I mean, it wouldn't even, it, the word motorcycle never even came up in my house as a kid. It's just, dad's yeah. a small town family practice doctor, like not even an option, like not even something to give consideration to. Um, when I was 19 and I rode my first motorcycle, it just went, oh my gosh, this this freedom and adventure and independence that these people talk about, like even just on my first little lap around a parking lot, I was like, I want to know more about this. But what attracted me even more than the experience was the people. And I remember sitting at Alamo City Harley-Davidson and the former mayor, Howard Peak and the, district, or the county judge, uh, Nelson Wolf and the Comal County Sheriff at the time, Bob Holder, they were all hanging out with three or four banditos, which are part of a one percenter outlaw motorcycle club, right? <laughs> as soon as they step out of that parking lot, those guys are kind of like sworn enemies to each other, law enforcement and judges and outlaw motorcycle guys, right? But inside that dealership, it was all about the motorcycle and that shared experience. And I just was like looking at it and I can still visually see that that moment going, how amazing is this that and it's more than just a motorcycle. It's the brand, it's the lifestyle, but that that this Harley-Davidson motorcycle, it doesn't matter if you're the CEO of a billion-dollar company or if you're the janitor. It doesn't matter if you're the local sheriff or judge or if you're an outlaw motorcycle guy. It was, it was just like the great equalizer. Everybody yeah. was treated with respect. Everybody was treated, you know, as long as you're being cool and being respectful, it was, it was shown back uh, to the other people. And, and so it's just... Before Facebook, before Twitter, it was this incredible social network of people from all different backgrounds and walks of life and uh, just so diverse with this common love of freedom, adventure, and independence, which that Harley-Davidson motorcycle represents. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to add to that, you know, me and myself, I also, I didn't grow up in a motorcycle family. I was actually, my mother for forbidden me and my sister, my little sister from ever (laughs) riding a motorcycle, which it's funny now. It's like the running joke because my sister also married a Harley guy who runs a dealership up North. So, (laughs) so we're both married to motorcycle guys. I know it's, uh, it's all in the family now, but, um, but what I, what I love about the motorcycle, um, community is and I've come to learn this is because, you know, a lot of most people do look at motorcyclists and, you know, and think that, oh, they're the big bad bikers, you know, because they wear black and they have tattoos or long beards or this or that. And, you know, first lesson I learned um, was you just cannot judge a book by its cover because these the people that ride motorcycles and Harley Davidson's, uh, you know, they are some of the most loving most charitable, giving souls I have ever met in my entire life. And um, I'm more scared of the normal people walking down the street, you know, downtown Durango (laughs) than I am with these big bad bikers that are walking out of our shop every day. And it's true. It's true because they're also really big protectors. And I know that 
I feel extremely safe with my children running around in that shop all the time. They're really not all that big, bad, and scary, you know? <laughs> Some, of them. Some of them can be, but it's not It's not the uh, majority, you know? Yeah. Not a, yeah. Yeah. Awesome perspective. Yeah. Do you ride, Katie? I do. Yes. Okay. I have my license. I got my license about, I guess it's almost two years now, but I... I don't have my own bike yet, and I'm not on the road yet. Um, she does have her own motorcycle. She has a really, really <laughs> awesome dirt bike. I have a dirt that's bike. Hers. That's that's not the same as a road bike. But anyway, <laughs> <laughs> Trevor's just a little nervous about me riding because I'm a good rider. It's he just worried about other people. So we're we're yeah. getting him to loosen up that fear a little bit so that I because I I enjoy it. It's yeah. fun. It was being. I've always ridden on the back with Trevor and that's fun too. And I enjoy getting to do that with him. But um, there's definitely something extremely empowering about being able to handle a big machine like that. And be, uh, it definitely is a freedom feeling for sure. And um, it's, yeah. uh, it makes it a little harder to get on the back now with Trevor just because I know that I can do it. So yeah, yeah, I'm going to get, I'm going to get there. Yeah, it's a big machine. Mm-hmm. It is, but it's not so, as intimidating as it seems. It's really fun. Okay, awesome. And you guys are up there with that million-dollar highway. I have driven that before and have seen many groups of motorcycles and just thought, holy cow, what happens if you're, I don't know, I guess you can get a blowout on a motorcycle and that is just a whew, drop off yeah. there. But beautiful scary. scenery. <laughs> Beautiful. beautiful. Oh my gosh, yes. So you moved from New Braunfels to Durango, and I really want to hear your story about how that came about and that process of you all becoming co-owners, right? Mm -hmm. You both, you're listed on your website anyway as co-owners. Tell us more about that. How did that opportunity come up and how did you process that as a couple? A lot of prayer, yeah. <laughs> a lot of prayer and, you know, the going out into the deep kind of uh, approach to it. You know, by, by 2016, I was just kind of at a point where, where something needed to change from our current situation. Um, and I kept trying to see if we could have that change happen there in Texas. But through all of that, Harley Davidson Motor Company had approached me and said, look, we want dealers like you and because you have this equity in these shops, maybe we can go out and look at, at finding, you know, kind of gave me some parameters and Katie and I, uh, we had never heard this, like it never even True heard story. of Durango, Colorado. No idea where Durango was. Never heard of it. <laughs> Grew up going no to idea. Colorado my entire life. Like, <laughs> Complete opposite side of Colorado. Yeah. But it never right? been to Durango and, um, and a good friend. Drango's in the very, very southwest corner for those yes, that right. may not be up on your geography. Right there in the four corners where New Mexico, Utah, yep. Arizona, and Colorado all connect. And, yeah. um, and so I got a, a friend, a uh, phone call from a good friend, and he said, Hey, this is kind of really confidential, but the uh, dealership in Durango is, is listed for sale, and I think it would be a great fit. And so December 6th of 2016, Katie and I book our first flight to Durango and we're staying at the Strader Hotel, which is this historic, just really neat hotel right downtown Main Street. 
And we didn't realize that it was called Noel Night, which is only happens one night a year, but it's where all of the merchants, they all put up their displays outside on Main Street. And there's, you know, Santa Claus on a stagecoach. Christmas ride, lights. Riding up yeah. and down. And there's a nice little snow. And it's just like... It definitely set the scene. Yeah, it was a magical, <laughs> magical evening in Durango. <laughs> and um, we mm. went and met with the owners. And it was really interesting because it was the first time we met with the, the current owners. And they were they were getting into their early 70s and run a really successful business. And they were just looking to retire, right? They, they, they had a good business, a, a great foundation that they had created but they wanted to retire and i just remember the wife we we met top secret we met at the dealership that night and the wife said as we were walking out she said you know i don't know what god has planned for you too but i'm definitely going to be praying that whatever it is he just helps you find it you know with with clarity and, and understanding. And so she told so and she told me she told me she's like katie i just like i really feel like I feel like this is it. Like she, like she felt like we were the people they were looking for to take over their shop. And I thought that was super sweet. But in the back of my head, like Trevor and I had kind of already made the decision like, oh, this dealership's too small for us. You know, like we're used to, you know, selling hundreds and hundreds of bikes. And yeah, we were selling 1600 bikes a year uh, between the two shops in Texas. This shop was not even doing 150 bikes in, in a full year. So it was, from mm-hmm. a size perspective, it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. And so we had kind of come on this trip with the kind of the just patient. thinking like, oh, this will just be a great getaway for the two of us. You know, we'll get to go and spend the weekend in Durango and we'll go check out this shop, you know, okay, but it's not for us, right? So when she said that to me, I was just like, wow, it's like that's pretty a pretty powerful statement, right? Mm-hmm. And um Here's I'm, gonna, I'm gonna jump in from now yeah, at work. this point. But uh so Trevor and I, we, we leave the dealership, we get in the car and we go, to, we go off to dinner and um, we go and we sit in this awesome little restaurant here in downtown Durango called the Ore House. If you ever come to visit, you need to go there. Best steak you'll ever have. Anyway, we were sitting at the Ore House um, having dinner and I've got my glass of wine and we're just enjoying the evening and Trevor looks at me and he says, Katie, I really feel like this is, this is where God's calling us. I just have a feeling. I think God's, God is calling us here. And I immediately just burst into tears. And I was like, wait, you're kidding, right? Like, no, <laughs> no, we already said this was not where we're supposed to be. This wasn't, you know, right for us. Like, you, then my mind just starts tumbling, you know, like, so you want to take me out of Texas? Mm-hmm. I never thought I would leave Texas. And my family's in Texas. What's happening? You know, I just panic mode, right? Um, fast forward we decided that we would, we would pray about it. We'd pray about it. And, you know, we don't have to decide right now. Let's pray about it and see what, what comes of it. So fast forward Take a couple a deep weeks. breath. <laughs> exactly. Actually, I don't know if it was a full few weeks. I think it may have been just like one week. We get back and um, I had a pretty huge uh, God moment that made me instantly change my mind. God often talks to me through music. And um, hmm. there are actually a lot of other signs that led up to this point, but we don't have enough time for all of that. But um, I, I we just might have to do another episode. <laughs> yes, I mean it's it's a really amazing story. But um, the biggest point for me was I was sitting in my Tahoe, my car, I just taking the kids to their Mother's Day out program, and I was driving home, and I had my playlist on shuffle in my car, and uh, that Hillsong United song, um, Oceans, came on, and um. Mm-hmm. 
that's like a 10 minute song. So I don't ever, I've never, I don't think I'd ever listened to the whole thing before, but it, it just came on and I'm sitting alone in my car and I'm listening to the words and the song is, is so beautiful. And it, it's talking about spirit lead me where my feet could never wander, take me deeper than I could have, you know, than I could ever go. Um, I trust that you're leading me where I should be kind of thing. And of course, now I can't think of all the lyrics on my top of my head, but it's just the most beautiful song about trusting in God and where he's leading you, keeping your eyes above the waves, which it's referencing my favorite Bible story, you know, where Peter's walking on the water towards Jesus and he falls and all he says is Jesus help me. And he does. And anyway, it was just, I get chills talking about it, but then I I'm sitting there and I'm just crying in my car and I'm crying. And because I'm just thinking like, wow, God is like being so clear to me right now. Like I just need to let it go. He's, he's the one in control. He's obviously wants us to go to Durango. And so from that moment on, I never questioned it. And Trevor came home from work and I said, Trevor, we got to go to Durango. That's where we got to go. <laughs> and then I had changed my mind. Yeah. And I'm like, <laughs> it's getting way too, way too real. I mean, then we had to go out there and, and for the real estate transaction, raise a lot of money. We don't have any partners, but we definitely have investors. And, and it started, and I was just like, I, I can't do this. I can't do this. This is too much. And Katie was like, no, you're, you're not, we're not mm-hmm. changing course. And so like her, God often speaks to me through my wife. <laughs> so um, it just, I knew, I, I knew like, all right, there, there is no turning back and, and we're going to have faith. And there, there's so much more like the, the LLC that owns Drango Harley Davidson is Ash Motorsports. It was on Ash Wednesday. Katie had come home and she had the ashes on her forehead. We both go to the Catholic church and, we had to come up with a name that day for the LLC. Like we'd run out of time. And so we were thinking with C12 and like, you know, this being a, a company that we wanted. And, and I've, I've got our purpose and vision statements I can share with you, but we wanted to honor God through this company. And so for us, the ash was always serving him with him being Christ. And so it's just, it's been really neat to watch the more that we just gave God back his company and said, just, work through us and um you know the last three and a half years it has been just amazing the stories and the experiences and the blessings and the success of the business i mean it's Spirit it's been an fruit. incredible mm-hmm. incredible journey oh my gosh that is a wonderful story what's a high and what's a a low point since you've taken over the dealership um Let's see. Well, for myself, I would say the high for me is the opportunity to get to work side by side with Trevor. You know, we weren't sure how that was going to go at first, um, <laughs> but we actually um, complement each other really well um, in the workplace and um, very respectful of each other's roles and lift each other up that way. So I'd say that's been the biggest high for me is that the opportunity to work next to him and learn so much from him through all of it. The low, I think, would definitely be it's been it's been difficult being far away from my family mm-hmm. and all of our friends back home in Texas. We really created a really amazing community of friends in in uh, New Braunfels, and uh, and my family were all super close. I've never lived more than like two and a half hours away from my mom and dad. So, you know. Ha- going from having a huge network of family and friends to lean on to not knowing anybody, that was definitely really hard. 
and it's taken, let's mm. see, we've been living here now for almost four years. And I'd say it's taken about four years to really feel like Durango's home just because we had mm. such, such deep roots in Texas and still do. Those roots right. are always there. Yeah. Good. You've been able to stay connected. Oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What about for you, Trevor? You know, I, I would definitely echo Katie. It, it wasn't really part of the original plan that she would be working full-time in the dealership. Like we knew like we're going into this as co-owners and, but, but being there full-time was not, was not part of the original business plan. And after about six months, I just realized like I was, I was suffocating. Like I just couldn't, I, I was working, you know, 14, 16 hours a day. And, and um, she said, I'm going to, I'm going to come alongside you and, and really roll up my sleeves and, and dive into the day-to-day stuff. And, it could have gone probably one or two ways and we've been really really blessed now of course we still have our days but it's just been so neat to watch her grow and her confidence as a leader and and everything and then also uh just getting to serve our team and our customers with it has been absolutely amazing the other high would be um our second full year in business we came in out of 600 plus dealers in the country uh by harley davidson motor company's scorecard we were ranked seventh in the country in 2019. And then, you know, just seeing the growth of our, our, our team members and seeing them grow personally and professionally and being a part. I mean, we've almost doubled the revenue in, in three full years of business from where we bought the dealership to where it is today. Like we've, we pretty much have doubled the top line revenue and, and it's been, you know, it's just been an awesome journey. And I, I think the low is I didn't have as, as tight of a family network and, and you know, love my, my, my mom and dad. I mean, just amazing, amazing people. But we, we weren't we weren't as close knit as Katie was with her family. And so, you know, for me, I think the low is I totally respect and, and appreciate how much she misses her family and misses that closeness. And um, so just wishing, you know, wishing that I could, I could close that gap a little bit where, where Katie wasn't so far from her family would having her so far from her family would be kind of my low. What, what would you guys say to other couples that are considering going in business together? Because like you said, it could have gone one of two ways. Mm-hmm. It's not for everybody. What are some of the questions that you guys worked through in coming to that decision even i don't know that we really ever talked about it that much we just, just kind of like <laughs> it was survival <laughs> you know it really was it's was like we, we've got to okay. make this work and it's going to take both of us and i think any advice i'd give uh, other couples that are thinking about going into business together is making sure that you know that they're they're friends too. You know, you, you've got your life partner here and you share and the responsibilities of everyday life and raising kids and stuff. But I think having a friendship is really important because that, you know, creates the trust and the respect. Um, you know, I, I have the utmost respect for Trevor because of one of his knowledge of the business, you know, he's already been with Harley Davidson for so many years. So when I joined on, I knew that I definitely am not the expert here. So knowing to take my my cues and my leadership from him in order to do well myself. So I think it's important to have that friendship and respect, mutual respect for each other. And also like know when you need to leave the office and close the door. 
you know, like they're Trevor and I, you know, there are definitely days where one of us is not in the best mood and there might be some high level things, drama going on or whatever. And I just know to stay out of his office on those days, you know, (laughs) whatever we got to discuss will happen later. You know, it's, we try to really separate work and home um, as much as we can, except at three o'clock when the kids get out of school and they usually end up coming back to work with me. And then it's a big family affair all the way around, you know, (laughs) but um, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with everything she said. And, you know, having boundaries, I think that's important that, and, and it's it's impossible to keep keep it from crossing over. But you know, when you're at home trying to focus on on home and the the marriage and the kids and and that, and not always bringing work home with you or or even bringing your home life to work and trying to keep kind of keep those a little bit separate. And and there, again, there's no perfect equation for that. But you know, one thing is make sure you know each other. You know, Katie and I we had been through some rough times in our marriage before we moved up here. And we had, you know, we had a few years of, of really kind of working things out and like really getting to know who we were deep down without like all the mm-hmm. stuff on the surface and, you know, having that friendship that Katie mentioned, understanding each other's boundaries and, and just even the level of respect. I mean, it blows me away. Katie comes to every one of our meetings. We have a weekly owners meeting and you know she comes with an agenda. Like I'm, I'm like trying to tell the rest of my managers. I'm like, why can't y'all? She's the one person that doesn't have to come with an agenda, but she comes prepared and is always really respectful of our time. And you know we've even got a big note on our 2021 meeting agenda template that says work not not home or something that our work not personal to make sure when we're talking about work. And it always happens. Yeah, I always bring something in about, oh, what about the kids' ski class this weekend? But Well, and the reason for that is I'm the one that made that rule because I'm not there full-time like Trevor is, 9 to 5 every day. I'm there from about 8 to 2.30. Because when the kids get out of school, that's when we go do all the kids' stuff. You know, the okay. soccer practice, ski team, all that stuff. So the hours that I'm in the office are so crucial. So um, I try to not talk about home stuff unless it's really, you know, something pressing and important, but I need to focus on work while I'm there so that I don't fall behind. And so in the, the agenda thing, I'm just a type A person, so I can't help that. He's respectful of that and he understands that. And, and he's also a super great helper with the kids and everything outside of work too. And I think that's a, you know, that's an important thing to to say as well. If you're going to, if you're a husband and wife and you're going to work together, you need to share the responsibilities outside of work too. Um, whereas when I was this, when I was staying at home with my kids, you know, yeah, I cooked dinner, I cleaned the kitchen. I, I took care of those home, those home responsibilities. Um, and Trevor helped, but it was mostly me, but now like we really are a team. So if I cook dinner, he cleans the dishes, Mm -hmm. you know, we both share the laundry and we do all of that. And I can't tell you what that's done. Um, my love language is, um, acts of service. So when he does those things, Ah. I mean, it's just a huge, um, it's just, it's so wonderful. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like you guys learn to pivot in a lot of different ways. And, you know, some couples, they get very fixed in their roles. Like you have to do this and I have to do this. And I think Mm -hmm. it, shows some depth and flexibility in your relationship to be able to shift. You know, there was a time when Mark had gone back to school and we literally kind of flipped roles 
he would cook dinner. That was a little scary because <laughs> he really didn't cook a lot at the time. I remember he made something one night and I was like, mm, it's good, honey. It tastes a little salty or maybe it was missing salt one or the other. He was like, yeah, well, I, I had a Hannah on my hip and I was talking to mom and, and I was cooking and I was like, it, I just realized that, you know, as women, I don't know, we just seem to be a little more able to multitask. And, um, mm -hmm. But we did. Mm -hmm. And I think it gave us both an appreciation of the whole picture of what it takes to run a family. Somebody has to bring in money. Somebody has to do laundry. Somebody has to cook. Somebody has to clean. Somebody has to pick up the kids. But it doesn't have to be the yeah. same person mm -hmm. all the time. And it really does feel so empowering, doesn't it, to, to be that team? Absolutely. Yeah when, yeah. when Katie and I were going through marriage, like pre-marriage counseling and stuff, and, you know, I've, I forgot who said it, but somebody said, it's none of this 50-50 stuff. Like you're either 100% and 100% or not yes. at all. And like that really, you know, Katie and I, I mean, and there's there's seasons. I mean, there's seasons of life where I'm running on empty and I just can barely go anymore and, and, and have these challenges. And she's always there to pick me up and lift me up. And then, you know, it flips. And then there's times where she needs me to step it up a little bit more and, and chip in and help out and support a little bit more. But it's, it always, I've never felt anything less than a hundred percent from her. And I never, I always try to make sure I'm giving her a hundred percent of myself back. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a, that was a big kind of aha moment for both of us was when was hearing that. And I think it was Raylan that told us that maybe Yeah. Um, our business coach back home. She, um, I think she's mm -hmm. the one that said that, you know, marriage is not a give and take 50, 50, you know, each person has to give a hundred and a hundred. So that's something that we, we frequently fall back on that statement. Yeah. Yeah. So you had a business coach that talked to you about marriage also. <laughs> she kind of covered all the boundaries. Yeah. yeah we had a, uh, I, she I came in that. under the, under the guise of a business coach, but she was actually a chaplain, uh -huh. but, okay. but didn't, Amazing professional development, personal development. Yep. So great. When did you guys start working with a coach? Man, when did I start working with her? Probably in 2006 or seven. Okay. And what yeah, prompted you to do that? The father that was the owner of the dealerships at the time, there is a lady named Sally who had who he knew Sally worked at Picante, the, the little, uh, hot sauce company. And Sally went off and started Sally's salsa, which was being sold in every HEB across the state of Texas. And Hal, the boss said, how did you go from working on the line at Picante to now you've got this wildly successful salsa company? And she said, cause of my business coach. And the dad looked at his son and I, and he said, you see these two, they need some of that in their lives. They need a little direction. And it's really interesting because when she showed up, she asked these really strange questions like, well, what's your mission statement? What are your core values? What type of legacy do you want to leave? And I'm like, who, what are you? They're totally foreign language. I'm like, what the heck are you talking about? Like our mission is to make money and have fun. Like that was all that legacy. Like we're living for the moment. And Ray Lynn had such a tremendous um, impact on that pivoting that, that she just brought this perspective to life of 
you know, having a vision and a purpose and a mission and values and then taking that with what Katie had learned at the San Antonio Spurs of a value-based leadership approach to running the business. And um, all of those components kind of came in together to really form us to the type of leaders and, and owners that we are today. That is really cool. Such great mentors. You mentioned some challenging marriage times, and we don't have to get into specifics, but part of the reason that I started this podcast is, especially in the entrepreneurial world, and you look at what you all left, a lot of security, family, friends, to go to something that though you felt strongly led to do, it was still scary. And it was, you had to put both feet in the same boat if mm-hmm. it was going to float, right? So there, there are challenges. And I just see so many couples that when hard times come, they're just flabbergasted or scared or they think there's something wrong with them. So I would like to hear a little bit about what are some things that you all have done when you've hit those hard times? What are some things you've done to strengthen your marriage and get through those hard times? Um, you know, a lot of the it, like big issues that we had in our marriage happened a lot earlier in our marriage um, that all become stepping stones and building blocks into making us stronger, you know, because we're, we're pretty rock solid. Um, we still have our lows, but um not like back then, but back then, I think what really helped in a lot of ways was um, we weren't afraid to go and see a counselor. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I warmed up to the idea first and then Trevor saw how it was helping me and and then he jumped on board and being able to have someone outside of us, you know, that doesn't, doesn't know us personally, but, you know, can sit there and help mediate a discussion and help us see other ways around, you know, how the other feels. Um, I think that was a huge, a huge thing to have for us in our marriage early on. Even now, we still go to a counselor once a month now, Mm -hmm. just for maintenance, we call it, you Mm -hmm. know, because um, there's always things to talk about and work on. You know, marriage is a commitment. And um, we made our commitment in front of God. And it was something that we take really seriously. So I'm also extremely thankful because I, I have a really amazing man here that loves me unconditionally and he shows me that every single day and he um he's never given me one ounce of or inkling at all that he wants to give up when things get tough mm-hmm. if anything he's the rock that keeps us together so I'm, I'm I thank God every day for him but um I don't know I guess you know counseling and being able to communicate and it's not always easy we both struggle with communication that's uh, something we work sure. on a lot but that's so important yeah, and and through that, you know, through counseling, and not just not just with the marriage counselor, but with other friends, with other you know couples that have been doing this longer than we have, and and being able to talk to people that have the experience, and and kind of like what you're sharing with your listeners of, you know, we've learned so much from from couples that are you know five, ten, fifteen years out ahead of us mm-hmm. that we've been able to lean on in, in times of need and and really understanding how to communicate with one another, understanding the triggers and that it, it's not always us. Like I might react to something and it's not because of Katie, but because it's something in my past that I'm still kind of figuring out and for her to go, okay, I know I'm not going to take that personal because I know he's still working through that or vice versa. So just understanding our triggers and how to communicate and all of that has been a big help. 
I also think being able to say you're sorry, it seems so simple, but for mm-hmm. a lot of people, it's not, it's not easy for me to admit that I'm not perfect. So I, it's probably <laughs> in our relationship, it's probably harder for me to say, I'm sorry, um, when we're in the wrong, but that really does go a long way, you know, as being humble and recognizing when, okay, maybe I was a little harsh on you. Okay. I'm sorry. And being able to, mm-hmm. yeah, fall on your sword now and then. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Real quick. We haven't, I don't think I've brought up this topic before on the podcast, but you, you talked about your kids taking them into the dealership after school. Mm-hmm. It's a big family thing. How do you guys talk with your kids? Do you, especially when you have maybe some difficult things you're having to talk through, do you try to keep that away from the kids? Or, I mean, they're still fairly young, but what what are your thoughts about raising children while you're growing a business and kind of teaching them about what it means to run a business. I think it's one of the biggest blessings we could ever give our children um, is being able to be in that dealership with us and see their mom and dad working hard and leading a team and them also getting to be a part of it. When we first took over, my son was four, my daughter was six. And um, my, my daughter to this day, I mean, she amazes me still, but she'll, she'll, she'll go and help out in the motor clothes department. And she'll, she talks to customers. She answers phones. She, she's an expert t-shirt folder. She, she shows up at our, our weekly staff meetings in the summertime. And we, we start the staff meeting off. We open in a prayer and then we do values and action. So our core values of teamwork, integrity, passion, and service, we open it up to the team and go, hey, is there anybody that deserves a shout out for values and action? And our little 10-year-old daughter will go... Um, I'd like to recognize McKenna because she just did an incredible job helping this customer the other day. And she really showed a lot of passion and teamwork. And I'm just going, yeah, what? Like, wow. Like we're, Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. It's amazing to see, um, her just feel so comfortable in that environment and feeling like it's home because it is, it's like, you know, if we're not at home, they're either at school or they're at the shop with us. And so it really Mm -hmm. is a family run business and um every person in that dealership that works with us part of the extended family the extended family and they feel like millie and reese are their kids too so um so they our kids they've been immersed in it since day one we try not to you know when there's we don't we try not to have money conversations with them or you know things that are just beyond their understanding yet but when it comes to leadership and yeah. hard work we absolutely let them see it and we encourage them to um, to do it they'll come up with business plans or we'll hold, we'll even have like little interviews with them every once in a while if there's different things they want to do around the shop yeah our, our daughter for several years during the labor day weekend we we host a huge it's called the four corners motorcycle rally and our daughter's been running a lemonade stand every every weekend for the last three years now and one night we got home and I needed change for the babysitter. And uh, I, I told, I'm like, all I've got is a hundred. And Millie goes, oh, dad, I've got change for that. And I said, what do you mean you have change for that? <laughs> we went back. She had $400 that she had saved from running her lemonade stand. So we she went and we, we opened up her first wow. kid's savings account for her. And I, it's just been so neat to watch her, you know, understand the, 
the value of of earning a dollar. And and with the lemonade stands, like they have to pay rent, they have to donate ten percent back to the church. She on her own picks a, a charity to donate all of her tips to. They have to pay for any help. They have to pay for the cost of goods. And uh, you know, I want them to understand the cups cost money, the ice costs money, the lemonade yes. mix costs money. Um, yeah, and, and whatever's left over, that's what you keep. Yep. But, um, so there's yeah, your I, profit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes. We kind of run our house so like cool. a business too. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That is so awesome. Well, you've talked a little bit about this along the way, but I always like to ask, what do you guys do to keep the fun, friendship, and intimacy in your marriage? Never stop dating your spouse. You know, when, you, when you're running a business, a growing business, you've got two young kids, never stop dating your spouse. And, you know, I, I hear myself saying that, and at the same time, I'm going, you need to ask her out on a date really quick. Um, but... <laughs> You know, we, we do try to make time uh, for one another. Obviously, with COVID, the whole last year has been, it's been so crazy for everybody. But, you know, Katie and I, we've, we've done little book studies together. We've been trying to take walks together more often. We try, and we're not perfect, but to set aside 20 minutes of intentional time where there's no screens, no kids, where we can just talk, and just talk about the day. And, and sometimes it's weird, and it's a little awkward and clunky to get started. You're like sitting there going... Okay, <laughs> but all of a sudden you find yourself twenty minutes later, and you're just oh my gosh, and and don't forget about this and that. So I I just think that's important, and never never stop dating her, you know, never stop making her feel important. Just bring home flowers one day, just because, not because you're in trouble, not because you did something upset her, but just because because you love her and and the acts of service and just understanding the other's love language and you know mine's mine's physical touch surprise surprise right like and so 99.5% I know but she knows something as little as is walking up to me and just kind of putting her hand on my back or or you know a, a couple extra seconds when she hugs me when I get home like those things just have this incredible impact that I'm learning like you know, I, I desire that I need that where she needs acts of service and quality time. And so, you know, understanding what, how the other one works and how you can talk to them in their own love language, I think is important. Yeah. And, um, I definitely, you know, another way to keep the fun going and the intimacy is we flirt with each other all the time. I mean, like, especially at at work, I mean, you know, or I guess it could be supposed to be like inappropriate to do that at work. Right. But we like, I'll walk guys with him across the showroom floor and give him a little wink, you know, and he just smiles and like, just go on about our day. But those little things, you know, I think are really fun is being able to, um, you know, have have fun, whatever atmosphere we're in. So it amazes me, you know, 12 years, you know, I remember when we got engaged and you always have the naysayers. Oh my gosh. Like, you know, your life's going to come to an end and forget about any intimacy in your relationship after you get married. And mm-hmm. I feel so sorry for people that experience that because 12 years later, and it's not always easy. I mean, there's definitely ups and downs and, and, and challenges, but when you look overall in the last 12 years, I still, just can't believe how much more I fall in love with this woman every day, Mm -hmm. like every day, even Mm -hmm. in the bad days, like it just blows my mind that I can continue to fall deeper and deeper in love with her. And, and on every level, you know, every level, the spiritual level growing in our faith and, you know, just as friends, the intimacy, all of it, like, it's just, it's amazing. That's so great. (laughs) 
Katie, I was reading up on your Facebook post. You know, I do a little checking around, just what's something that catches my eye just to get to know people a little bit more before we do these interviews. And I found a really great quote, and I want to just close us out with this because I thought your words were so perfect. But it was a picture, you guys have been out on a ride, I guess. And you said, you are my home and my adventure all at once. And I love that. I I may be stealing that. I will credit it to Katie Bird, but I love it. So we'll just leave it there and wish you many more adventures. Thank you guys so much. Thank you, Kathy. Thank you, Kathy. It's a real blessing. We really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening through to the end, friends. Hey, before you go, can you think of someone else who is also on this journey that would benefit from hearing this episode? Sharing an episode and especially giving a rating and review really helps others find the podcast. So thank you in advance for doing that. If you have a question related to this episode or anything we've talked about in the past, you can email me at info at I'll be adding an option soon for you to leave a voice message on my website, and I'll share those comments or questions in upcoming episodes. You can always find a full transcript of this episode on my website, kathyrushing.com. You're building a life together. Make it a great one. See you next time.